Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibanihi al-lazina stafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatami al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. Today inshallah we will be discussing the story of one of the companions who accepted Islam right at the beginning. Two days after Sayyiduna Abu Bakr as-Siddiq according to some of the historians. There are narrations that show us how this very close and dear companion of Rasulullah was the eighth individual to accept Islam. Being that early to accept Islam meant that the whole experience of being a Muslim is what they had to go through. Right from the early days of secretly, privately meeting together with Rasulullah in disclosed locations, praying salah in the hills, in the valleys, being with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Darul Arqam, seeing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam struggle with the people of Makkah Mukarramah, witnessing the challenges Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam faced with his own family, people passing away, his own children leaving the world, yet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam enduring and pushing forward, they saw this with their eyes. This observation, seeing what the Prophet ﷺ went through, not just in the beginning, but in the middle, and also being there right at the end, is what shaped these individuals. This is what made them into great legends. In our last class, I covered this, but I'll mention it today again. Knowledge itself doesn't bring change in people. Knowledge serves as a tool for improvement. It's that tawfiq, that guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which generally comes on the back of inspiration that is gained through seeing the ambition and hard work of people around you, that you gain strength, that you believe in a greater purpose, that you understand that whatever people tell you your limit is, in reality, you actually just start there. It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept people. It's up to Allah to utilize people for the khidmah of the deen. 
Your task is to do the best you can in your life. Yet you must be surrounded by people who have also used their life in a meaningful way. Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu an was that great Sahabi of the Prophet of Allah who saw Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with his own eyes. And when things became difficult after the public call to Islam and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave permission to the companions to migrate from Mecca to Abyssinia, he was one of the companions who went. He took his family with him. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam arrived in Medina Munawwara and Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu an, he heads over to Medina Munawwara and meets Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam there. From the moment that he arrives in Medina Munawwara, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam paired the companions with residents of Medina to help them kickstart their life. Migration from Mecca to Medina meant you were starting from ground zero. You were starting from scratch. You had nothing left to you. This isn't easy. How does a person walk away from life? How do you walk away from your wealth? A person has to walk away from a $1,000 paycheck. It's heavy on them. Someone has to walk away from a $10,000 uh, bill or a, 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 a deal. It's heavy on them. Person has to walk away from their home, impossible. You say, I'll make it work. I'll drive two hours extra if I need to on the weekends to take my kids to Islamic school or Sunday school or a program. I can't just leave my home though. These people left everything. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam always appreciated this about them and therefore they were given the title al-muhajirun. That these people were willing to walk. Their walk from life Alongside Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to this new chapter was out of love for Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them in the Quran. The people who did hijrah, those who migrated. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in order to make the transition smooth in Medina Munawwara, you have this great influx of people in the city and if they aren't properly integrated, if you just take refugees or migrants and put them in a city and don't have a proper plan for integration, it can create many problems. You now have a group of people that are the other. You blame them for no jobs. You blame them for overcrowding the city. You blame them for your own problems, as we see throughout history and even in our times. The system Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to create proper and smooth integration for these companions is a study in itself. How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought these communities together and made them into one family, made them into one people. The adhan is being called in Medina Munawwara not by an Ansari Sahabi who actually saw the dream. It's called by a Muhajir companion by Bilal radiallahu Reminding the Ansar that even though you are the host, when it comes to executing the deen, those with merit will be the ones that are selected, not you, simply based off of the fact that you are the ones that are hosting us. Reminding the companions of the maqam of these sahaba, Bidwanullahi alayhi majma'in. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa enacted the 
monumental relationship of muakhat. One muhajir companion was joined with one Ansari Sahabi, one Makki with one Madani, one migrant with one resident of Medina, and the Prophet of Allah joined their hands together and said, you are now brothers. The Ansari Sahaba, they weren't just any host. They weren't just any group of people. They had the most gracious, honoring, humble hearts that you can imagine. So generous these people were. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the honor of hosting this great generation of Sahaba. And at the helm of their beautiful crown was the pearl Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was their generosity. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what Allah subhanahu wa praises them with in the Quran. وَيُؤْفِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا وَيُؤْفِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ that they give preference over themselves, even if what they have themselves is very minimal. This summarizes the attitude and the approach of the Ansari companions. Abdurrahman bin Auf is paired with Sa'ad ibn Rabi' al Ansari. Sa'ad ibn Rabi' al Ansari. He was Khazraji, one of the leaders of his people. Among every tribe in Medina Munawwara, they had these people called Nuqaba, the Naqib, the leader of the people. Sa'ad ibn Rabi' was the leader of his people. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam joined him with Abdurrahman ibn Awf He himself was a man of great merit. Sa'ad ibn Rabi' if you want to understand his maqam and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had stored for him, he was shaheed in the battle of Uhud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with the honor of shahada. When the two were joined together, Sa'ad ibn Rabi'ah radiallahu very famously said to Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu that I have a lot of wealth, I have two gardens, I have two wives. He said to Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu I want to be here by your side to kickstart your life. And in any way that I could support you, I am here for you. Take from my gardens as you wish. If you are worried about not being able to support a family and you need assistance in getting married, I am going, I'm willing to go as far as separating from one of, my, one of my wives to help you start your family if that's what you need. My wealth, half of it is yours. He puts it all on the table. That you take what you want. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, he says to him, may Allah give barakah in what you have. And this shows us the, the wisdom of these companions, how wise they were. Someone offers you something, you're in need, it's natural to just say, yes, I'll take it. Not the companions of Rasulullah Those who needed it, they did take it. Abdurrahman bin Awf in this moment, he knew that he could accept the offer of this companion or he could take the other path. And the other path is, let me build myself up. I have the skill. I have the knowledge. I can do this. I've done it before. I lived a respectable life before. He was a wealthy man in Makkah Mukarramah. He was younger than Rasulullah in age. The historians, they say Abdurrahman bin Awf was born 
10 years after Rasulullah wasallam. 10 years after the year of elephant is when Abdurrahman bin Auf was born. So in age from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's 10 years younger. You can put him around 43 years of age when they arrived in Medina Munawwara. He says to Sa'ad ibn Rabi'a radiallahu an, Dullani ala suq. Show me where the market is. We'll take it from there. So he guides him to the market. Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu an started his trade. He would take one thing, sell it here for profit. Buy two things, make some profit on that. And slowly worked his way up. And there's a lesson in the life of Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu an for all of us. And that is that if you have the opportunity, the power, the mind, the know-how to earn wealth, then the right thing to do is go and earn it yourself. There are so many riwayat of Rasulullah that teach us exactly this. Al-Kasibu Habibullah. The one that earns with his own doing is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi saw a young man asking and he scolded him. That why are you asking from people? Do you not have the ability to earn yourself? The Prophet of Allah then tells him, it is better for someone to go and cut wood for fire and sell it in the market than to spread their hands in front of people and ask. He's talking to a young, able body. Get up and go. Contribute to society. Contribute to the market. Take the higher ground. Take the harder road. Being uh, on the receiving end of things is also complicated. In some situations, you have no option but to take. And to ask, in that scenario, there should be no shame there. We are one family. We are one ummah. We are here to support one another, look after one another. But at the same time, this shouldn't be a cop-out for people that are probably in the beginning or middle of their life from actually contributing to the development of the market. To be there to support, provide a service. Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu an. And by the way, this is why the scholars have a lengthy discussion. If you open up the books of hadith, you will find a chapter dedicated to an-nahyu an-su'al. There will be a chapter on an-nahyu an-su'al. The prohibition of asking. You shouldn't go around asking. And then the narrations where Rasulullah reprimanded individuals in the community that he saw that were asking and the Prophet of Allah did not like the way they were doing it or did not like them being the ones that were asking. Case study, individual by individual. And the interesting thing is usually after the chapter of Nahi Anis Su'al comes the next chapter on the virtue of giving. Where Rasulullah is telling the companions, on the other hand, you just give away. So one side of the community is being told, you keep giving and giving and giving and support people and help them and give them loans and be there for them. And if you could be a means for someone growing in life, then be that person. Don't yank people down. When he asked Sa'ad ibn Rabi'a where is the market? Sa'ad ibn Rabi'a could have said in a very awkward, weird scenario, figure it out yourself. It's kind of like someone says to another person, can you help me get an interview at so-and-so company? And even though he can make it happen, he guides him in the wrong direction. Because threatened, this person might become competition for me. What if this person takes away my money? Remember this, the qaida mentioned in the Qur'an, the clear principle in the Qur'an, 
And let this be embedded in your heart whenever you feel confused about how things are going to work out. وَمَا مِن دَابَّةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْقُهَا وَيَعْلَمُ مُسْتَقَرَّهَا وَمُسْتَوْدَعَهَا كُلٌّ فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ Everything, every grain of rice that you will consume in your life is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your task now is to go to the world and give it your best. Give it the best that you can while being ethical, while being morally upright, while being committed to halal. There is a haram path, there is a halal path. Choose the halal path. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give barakah and whatever you get. Don't be afraid of poverty. That if I do the halal, I will lose wealth. Then live your life in poverty if that's what's written for you. But live it in poverty while being beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being beloved to Allah with a constrained financial situation is far superior to having all the wealth of the world, but there is no mention of you in the heavens. That your wealth is a source of your distraction, shaitan is rooting you on to get the next job promotion. I hope this guy gets another promotion, man. Another two more promotions, he'll forget who his creator was. He just needs two, three more promotions. Let's get this dude married, get him promotions, send him on vacations, and he'll forget who his khalif was. This is the unfortunate um, spell of shaitan. As-shaytanu ya'idukum al-faqra wa ya'murukum bil-fahsha wallahu ya'idukum maghfiratan minhu wa fadla that Allah will give you more. Shaitan promises you poverty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises to multiply what you have. A group of people who supported one another. From here you see the heart of Sa'ad bin Rabi'a radiallahu anh. And he's saying, no, let me help you. When I see people like this in the community, I see a prophetic trait in them that is lost. Because in today's world, it's about climbing the economical ladder, the materialistic ladder, the ladder towards the American dream. And if anyone else is behind you, rather than pulling them up, kicking them off. I don't want this guy to get the position. I don't want it. We're constantly threatened, insecure. We think that someone else can take our risk. It is impossible for anyone to take your risk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for you what is yours, and it will always come to you. Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anh makes his way to the market, and he starts his thing. And much time doesn't even pass by he has begun to build wealth. The next thing Abdurrahman radiallahu anh does when he has wealth, he plans for marriage, that I need to get married. This is also a powerful lesson, that when a person has the financial means to get married, and they are in a good, stable position in life, find that sukoon and peace in the other half of your deen. Align yourself with someone good. You can have all the wealth in the world, but without a companion to share it with, what is that wealth? Our deen teaches us the importance of building a family. This is very, you know, central to the teachings of Islam. Family building, establishing units, preservation of lineage, being a part of building a healthy, strong community. Earlier today, someone asked me a question. This is tricky. I don't even know if I should say it. 
but we've already gone so far. We have to walk this path. Someone asked me a question. I don't find myself in love with my spouse anymore. Can I go ahead and get divorced? Tricky question. From a Western perspective, every interaction of life must be premised and built off of self-gratification. So if you don't find happiness somewhere, you walk away. It's simple. You have a relationship with your parents. If it's no longer making you happy, walk away. You have a relationship with your siblings. If you feel there's no longer any love there, just walk away. It's simple. You can walk away from anything you want to if it doesn't make you happy. In Islam, we have another concept, and that concept is that if you are committed to relationships, walking away from those relationships can't merely be based off of how you feel. It has to be based off of an objective truth. If your lack of happiness is a result of oppression, then of course you should find safety and protect yourself. If divorce is the option that gives you safety and protects you, then that is there for you. Take it. But if the dissatisfaction isn't a result of any oppression, any wrongdoing, it's simply because you can't find compassion for that individual anymore, then that's something you have to work on. How many relationships will you, work, will you, will you walk away from? Love in a Western world is based off of passion. So when the passion is no longer there, it's time for me to walk. Passion is a very important part of a relationship, of any relationship, specifically marriage. Actually, passion is a very important part of the marital relationship. It's what launches this rocket off of the ground. It's what gets the relationship going. How do you take a relationship from zero to 50? Because you have to create momentum. That's where passion comes in. The inclination that the two genders have towards one another. It brings them together, it launches them. But remember, this is a very quick form of fuel. It burns out quickly. It's not really dense. It's light. It'll serve a purpose. It'll project you forward. And if you're hoping for your relationships to exist purely off of the fuel of passion, you'll find yourself dry and exhausted very soon. So now what's the next thing that we do? In order for this relationship to mature, in order for it to reach a new place, you now have to transition from being reliant primarily on passion to now relying primarily on compassion. With time that moves, with time passing by, not only are you looking at that person, but you're also thinking about their kindness to you. You're thinking about their traits. You're thinking about their character, their forbearance. You're reflecting on how this person has dedicated their life to you. How they tolerate someone like you. And I'm speaking to myself here. And it's with that reflection that you now enter into a place of compassion. Now the relationship is secure. Now you're in a good place. Therefore, in the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us the dua for parents, Rabbir Hamhuma, oh Allah, show compassion to them 
as they nurtured me when I was young with compassion. What makes the relationship between a child and parent so strong is that it isn't built off of passion, it's built off of compassion. This little taqreer presentation is a summary of the ayah of Surah Al-Rum, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً Passion and compassion. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about marriage, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنْفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا from the signs, from his signs, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ that he created for you, مِنْ أَنْفُسِكُمْ from you, أَزْوَاجًا companions. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا so you find peace and tranquility with one another. How do you find that peace and tranquility? وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمًا No one at any point in Islam will ever promote being pressed in any situation where you are the recipient of oppression. This goes against the qawaid of the deen, the principles of the deen. Rasul said, La varara wa la virar. There is no causing harm to someone, and neither should harm be reciprocated. You are, no, you, are no, you are not forced to be harmed by another human being. If you are being harmed by another person, Islam will always have an out for you. There will always be a solution there. You do not need to suffer alone or suffer in isolation. There will always be a solution there. But on the other hand, you can't just walk away too. How do you find that compassion in your relationships? How do we develop and fix the state of marriages in today's world? This is a result of gratitude. Very few have the ability to express gratitude. That even if you're four children into your marriage, or like Zayd, 12 children into your marriage, <laughs> you keep looking at your spouse and you thank them for the small and big things. You learn to smile at your friends. It's fascinating because the tolerance, the forbearance, the great character that we have for our friends, not many people are able to offer that same kindness to their own family members. Why? This is a question. Why? Wallahu alam, Allah knows best, but one of the things that comes to my mind is because we have high expectations from our family members. We're running from one broken relationship to another broken relationship to another broken relationship to another broken relationship. And finally, when it comes to marriage, that it's supposed to be the solution to all those broken relationships. We are expecting for everything to be served to us on a platter without realizing that relationships can't be built unless you are serving as well. Expectations have to be adjusted. And the relationship must be fueled by compassion. And compassion must be built off of the back of excessive gratitude. That you keep thanking and you keep thanking and you keep thanking. If you can accomplish this, in your own marriages, in your own families, get ready to see the most powerful generation the earth has ever seen. We will change the world.
we will change it. Young people who turn into adults, who then become parents, are a part of a cycle of abuse. It's very hard to break away from it. What they do when they're in their middle ages and when they're old is predicated off of what they saw when they were young. And if what they saw when they were young was healthy discipline, if what they saw when they were young was compassion, an environment of worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where education was rich, you have a whole new brand of human being. It's a whole different person. With that sort of mindset, only Allah knows where this path will lead these great men and women of the future. But without that, you can try all the different schools you want. We are in a rut. Any deviation is a fluke. Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anh, right here, after he builds his wealth, establishes his family. In the West, one of the issues that we have is that we view marriage as a jail that I'm stuck in. There are so many reasons for this. If you speak to the women of our community, there is one narrative and story which is an unfortunate experience that we have. You speak to the men, it's a whole different story and another experience, which unfortunately is another reality that we have. And until we stay in this blue pill, red pill, lockdown situation, where the men are being accused of the red pill and the women are being accused of the blue pill, we're not going to be able to move forward. The way we as Muslims contribute back to society and humanity in the original pure form of revelation is for us to break away from blue pill, red pill and come back to the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa That in Islam, we have a system of marriage. Let's strip away everything that has been added on to this pure system and see what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa taught us then you'll see strength. You'll see what we as Muslims can offer. Now, he's married. He comes to meet Rasulullah The Prophet of Allah notices Abdurrahman bin Uqra has that special scent on him. And one riwayah, he has some coloring on his hand. So Nabi asked him, Mayham, ya Abdurrahman, what is this? Seems like you were celebrating. He says, Ya Rasulullah, tazawajd, I got married. If you pause right there, it's such a big story again. There's so much depth just in this part of the interaction without moving any forward. He is married, and the Prophet of Allah didn't even know. This isn't to take away from how much they respected and loved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa but rather to show how casual of an affair marriage was. The principle is that when you make nikah easy, zina then becomes hard. When you make the halal easy, the haram will become hard. But when you make the halal difficult, the, halal then, the haram then will become appealing in the eyes of people and become very easy. They will then push towards that. They will head in that direction. We talk about how zina has become so am and common in our community. Everyone talks about it. Zina here, zina there. We see young people in colleges and universities. They can't protect themselves. Well, we have a solution in Islam. Ya ma'ashar al-shabab, 
young people. Prophet of Allah is addressing that group of society. Ya ma'ashar al-shabab. Whoever has the ability to execute a marriage, they have the right strength. Ba is an, it's a word that the muhadithun have interpreted in many ways. Some have it translated ba as quwwatul jima, that you're capable of being intimate. Other scholars have said it's lawazimul jima, everything that's involved with first, that, that is required first before you are intimate, meaning the maturity that's needed, the financial stability that's needed, everything that is required on behalf of the man to provide for their family. Then go ahead and get married. Don't delay it. He is married. Rasulullah is finding out because of the, the effects of the party that are still on him. The Prophet of Allah doesn't scold him. How'd you get married without me? You got married. Good for you. The Prophet asks him the right question. Did you give her mahr? Did you take care of your wife? It's her haq. We just moved to Medina Manawara. Everyone's kind of broke here. Did you take care of your wife or not? He says, Ya Rasulullah, I did. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then asked him, What was the mahr? He says, Messenger, Wasna nawatin min dhahab. That the pit of a the pit of a date, the seed of it, I gave the equivalent of that in gold to her. The weight of that in gold, that's how much I gave. Now that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has confirmed that the rights were properly fulfilled, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then teaches him uh, the sunnah of marriage. Awlim Walima. That after a marriage is conducted, there should be a walima. A feast, sacrifice an animal, announce it to people, let the meat be distributed, cook some food, celebrate together. Now, to be very technical, awlim walaw bishatin means to sacrifice an animal, and walima is a meal that you have. Um, the purpose of the walima is to announce it. Nabi Sallallahu is teaching us a lesson, and to Abdurrahman bin Awf that people need to know you're married, not just because of the party and the festivities, but also for the sake of a healthy society. We don't promote promiscuity. And people should know that these two, this man and woman that are walking together, in reality are married. And when one person gets married and they celebrate it in an appropriate manner, then someone else will see it and then they will be inspired for marriage too. And they'll want to celebrate it as well. Rasulullah taught us this and therefore the ulama, some have gone as far as saying that walima is wajib. Awlim, al-amru lil-wujub. Because there was a command from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Therefore, they say it's required. But majority of the scholars hold the position that it is an emphasized sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After marriage, more particularly after the consummation of the marriage, or according to the Hanafis, after consummation or khalwa sahiha, an opportunity to have consummated the marriage without any barriers, then there should be a walima. The Prophet of Allah says, walaw bishatan, even if it's through the sacrificing of an animal. You know, uh, if you were to go and purchase a shat in Makkah Mukarama, a goat, sheep, or something equivalent to that, these days it would cost you around $130. Even if it's something small, do it. Can a person do walima less than that? Yes, they can. There are moments in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
where the walima of the Prophet of Allah was actually a potluck. The Prophet's own walima, by the way, I'm speaking of. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam got married and there was a need for walima. He didn't have anything available. So he said to the companions, whatever you guys have, bring it, we'll eat together. Where is this? And where are the $25,000, marriages that we have today? I was in England yesterday, by the way. Yesterday I was in London. And we were speaking at a hall. Actually, we were traveling from Manchester to London. One of the brothers that I was speaking to, he said to me that his relative was getting married that week on Wednesday. So the other brother that was there, he said to him, man, you guys are cheap. You're getting married on Wednesday. What kind of wedding happens on Wednesday? Making fun of him, you know, some banter. So this guy says, man, the Wednesday wedding is costing us $10,000 for the hall. And I thought to myself, subhanAllah, this is the place that we are as people. People are stuck. There are expectations. Obviously, there's family and you want to be able to accommodate your family. You shouldn't go and run away and get married. And, you know, that's not a thing too. I mean, respect your families, respect your culture. As much as all the guys here would want to do that, have like a walima dawah that subway. <laughs> Each person is limited to a six-inch sandwich with chips and cookie. <laughs> I was once in Saudi in a cab and get, catching a ride to the airport and there was a young guy driving me I was talking to him mostly because I wanted to polish up on my Arabic speaking skills so I was talking about random stuff like that's where we started how's it going you know Come to find like just started with small conversation, but we kind of made our way along. How about <laughs> and then once we were, as the conversation went along, we were talking about marriage naturally. And I asked him, Are you married? He goes, No, I didn't get married. I said, Why? He said, marriage in Saudi is very expensive. I had no point of reference. I didn't know how much it cost to get married in Saudi. So I asked him, how much does it cost? He said, between the mahar and the festivities, it's no less than 50,000 US dollars. And then he said to me, and this is why I'm driving a cab, because my hope is to get married in four or five years from now. The simplicity of the deen. I'm not against culture, by the way. I don't think it's appropriate that we completely ignore our culture too. But we have to come to a middle ground. I'm not saying that people should do their walimas again at Subway. I'm not saying that. But neither am I saying that it needs to be some out of the world, because now it's a big competition. There was one nikah that I was conducting. I asked the groom, how much mahar will you be giving? Usually after this, 
the family will say to me, please do not announce the amount. That's a common statement. People will say, don't announce it. And naturally, there's no need to announce it. So we won't announce how much is being given. My task is to ensure that it's within the shari'i requirements. This guy says to me, make sure you announce it. Lomia. So I asked him how much. He goes, I'm giving her $1 million. Juta. Liar. He's not going to give her $1 million. There's no chance he's going to give her $1 million. He wants me to say on the mic that I'm going to give her a $1 million. And then the next 10 years, he'll say, you know what? You know, 10% discount. And from there, he'll say 20% discount. And then he'll say, you know what? I will pay for the vacation, but from your mahar part. And probably at the end of it, she might get a subway sandwich out of it. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to him, have the walima. Keep it simple. A compromise. Find the middle ground. The beginning of that compromise will come as a result of the conversation, the much-needed conversation between the elders of our, of our community and the young ones. There needs to be a middle ground conversation. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Allahumma wafiqna lima tuhibu wa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then made dua for him in one narration. After he said to him, awlim walaw bishatin, he said, barakallahu laka fi malik. May Allah give barakah in your wealth. Abdurrahman bin Uf radiallahu an says, after that dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the world flipped. Money started pouring in. فَأَقْبَلَتِ الدُّنْيَا عَلَيَّ حَتَّى رَأَيْتُنِي لَوْ رَفَعْتُ حَجَرًا لَتَوَقَّعْتُ أَنْ أَجِدَ تَحْتَهُ ذَهَبًا أَوْ فِضَّةً After that day, my world flipped. The dunya came. فَأَقْبَلَتِ الدُّنْيَا عَلَيَّ The material began to pour in. حَتَّى رَأَيْتُنِي لَوْ رَفَعْتُ حَجَرًا لَتَوَقَّعْتُ That a point came that I knew that if I even picked up a stone, I had hope. لَتَوَقَّعْتُ I had hope. أَنْ أَجِدَ تَحْتَهُ ذَهَبًا أَوْ فِضَّةً That I would find gold or silver under it. That's how the money began to pour. We'll come back to Abdurrahman bin Uf and his generosity and how his wealth affected him or the lack of effect it had on him. We'll talk about that shortly. But before we get there, Abdurrahman bin Uf like the other companions, was by the side of Rasulullah throughout the Prophet's life. In the battle of Badr, Abdurrahman bin Uf he fought courageously. In the battle of Uhud, when the situation turned to be against the Muslims, the first half of the battle, Muslims were on the upper hand, and the second half of the battle, the battle flipped against them, and some of the companions begin to flee from the battlefield. The Quran mentions this. Abdurrahman bin Uf was not one of them. He stood firm. He stood strong in his place. And when he came out of that battle, he was covered in wounds. Imam Dhahabi ta'ala narrates over 20 wounds were inflicted on his body. And some of those wounds were so deep that a person can actually put their hand inside it. Maybe sustain real injuries. 
Some narrations tell us that it was a result of these wounds that Abdurrahman bin Awf then walked for the remainder of his life with a limp. He couldn't walk straight anymore because of the wounds that he had sustained in the battle of Uhud. When the Prophet wasallam would prepare armies to be sent, he would turn to the community of the Muslims and say to them that support these people, provide for them, help them. And in every one of these campaigns, Abdurrahman bin Awf was at the front. Not only was he a mujahid, a warrior himself, not only did he wield the sword in defense of Allah and Rasul alayhi salatu salam, and did, not only did he put his own life on the line in every one of those battles, but he supported them financially. And one may argue that his jihad on the financial front, his jihad in financing the Muslims, his struggle involved in playing his role in victory in the battlefield, when it came to his wealth, may have been even greater. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would turn to Abdurrahman bin Awf when it was time to give, and he was always available to give. In one narration, the Prophet of Allah والسلام, encouraged the companions to donate. Abdurrahman went home and quickly came back with 4,000 coins. He presented them to Rasulullah. Nabi asked him, What did you leave at home? He said, Our Messenger of Allah. I had 4,000 in total. I'm going to give 2,000 here and I will leave 2,000 for my family. I have, this is all the wealth that I have. I'm going to give 2,000 here and I'll keep half of it for my family. To that, Rasulullah made dua Barakallahu laka fima a'tayt wa barakallahu laka fima amsakt. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give barakah in what you've given. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also give barakah in the wealth that you've kept behind. Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu an, when it came to the battle of Tabuk specifically, along with the companions as everyone was donating, the battle of Tabuk was also known as Jaish al-Usra, Ghazwat al-Usra, the battle of great difficulty because at that time, the battle of Tabuk was the last major battle of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The last time Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa went on an expedition himself. Akhiru ghazbatin ghazaha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Tabuk. That battle was against the Romans. They came prepared. They were marching towards the Muslims. At least this is what the Muslims had heard. Armored right down to their ears and their teeth. The, battle, the, the, the journey was very far. Very far from Medina Munawwara. You guys heard about this Neom project that's going on right now in Saudi Arabia? The Neom project? It's actually in the Tabuk, if I'm correct, I think it's in the Tabuk province. Rasulullah was preparing an army to head out there. And the other thing that made this complicated was the, the Muslims in Medina Munawwara that specific year had less rain. So the markets were slower. The produce that they would have generally in their fields wasn't at the same yield that they had expected for that year and they had received over the previous years. It made things very complicated. 
Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu an, he gave and gave and gave so much that Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an said to him that I think you've committed a sin in how much you've given. It seems like you left nothing at home. What about your family? Inni la ara Abdurrahman illa murtakiban ithman fama taraka li ahlihi shay'a. It's possible this man left nothing for his family at all. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him, هَلْ تَرَكْتَ لِأَهْلِكَ شَيْئًا يَا عَبْدُ الرَّحْمَانِ Abdul Rahman, did you leave anything at home for your family? فَقَالَ نَعَمْ تَرَكْتُ لَهُمْ أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا أَنْفَقْتُ وَأَطْيَبُ That I have left for them better than what I have spent. More than what I have spent and even better than that. Nabi sallallahu said, come, how much did you leave behind? Like if you've given this much today, What did you leave behind? So he said, "Ma wa'adallahu wa rasuluhu min al-rizq wal khayri wal ajr." I left behind with them the promise that will come of Allah and His Messenger. I didn't leave too much money at home; brought it all here, but I left the promise behind, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's promise will come to me. This was at the beginning of the Battle of Tabuk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded him in the battle itself. In the battle of Tabuk, this act of his that happened before, it paid off in a very interesting way. He gained an honor in this battle that no one else has held. No one. Not even Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh, the great Sahabi of the Prophet of Allah, or Umar radiallahu anh, or Uthman radiallahu anh. Allah rewarded him. How? They were traveling. It was time for Salah. The Prophet of Allah was doing wudu. Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu anh started the prayer and led the companions. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came for prayer, Abdurrahman radiallahu anh saw the Prophet of Allah, so he began to move back. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gestured, stay right there. And for the first time, and the only time, the Prophet of Allah prayed salah behind a sahabi. He was the only one who led Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in prayer. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh, that dhuhr salah, that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa came in, he moved back, he didn't lead. The Prophet led the reign of that prayer. And after the prayer was over, in one narration, the Prophet of Allah said that every Prophet is led by someone from his Ummah, and Allah gave me that honor in Abdurrahman bin Auf. That he led Rasulullah. You can't even begin to imagine. If you were to look upwards to glance at such a person's honor who led the Prophet in Salah, your hat would fall off, you'd snap your neck you won't be able to see that person's maqam. This is Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Auf radiallahu ta'ala When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam departed from this world, Abdurrahman radiallahu an, like the other companions, experienced immense pain, separation. He was with the Prophet of Allah for all 23 years. If you and I feel something, imagine him. If we feel sad when thinking about the Prophet of Allah, 
if we feel the absence of the Prophet of Allah in our lives, what about Sayyidina Abdurrahman bin Awf So in order to make up for that gap that he felt in his chest, in order for him to continue to live that legacy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa what he does next is amazing. He now takes his strength, his ability to earn wealth, and channels it towards serving the ummah, specifically providing for the wives of Rasulullah He basically says to them, to all of his wives, Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, our mothers, you all have my credit card. Here you go. Spend as you need. Spending on you is like spending on the Prophet of Allah. This became his top priority. He basically gave each of them a blank check credit card. You want ice cream? Here you go. You want to go somewhere? Here you go. You want to buy anything? Our mothers will be taken care of. He would take them for hajj whenever they desired to go. Their full expense was covered. And not only that, but he would provide for proper transportation. That you will not walk or ride an animal, you will sit in the carriage and you will be carried business class. You will be carried to Makkah Mukarramah for your hajj. Right? Full expenses covered. One time, Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu an, he sold one of his lands and as a result of that made 40,000 dinar. That is a lot of money. 40,000 dinar for that. That's a lot of money. So he distributed all 40,000 among some family, some of the muhajirun, and the rest of it he gave it to the wives of Rasulullah. When Umm al Mu'minin Aisha received her share, she was so overwhelmed, she asked, Who sent this? They said to her, it was Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu an. So then she said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, only those people will show kindness and generosity to you, speaking to his wives, who are truly patient. He is from the Sabirun. He is a patient person. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praised him in that statement. One time, Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu an had a caravan of trade that was returning back to Medina Munawwara. The caravan itself consisted of 700 animals. And each of those animals were loaded with possessions, good and wealth. So think of 700 U-Wall trucks loaded with profit. 700. 700 minivans. 700 cars entering with all of his profits from the trade. Imam Dhahabi narrates a hadith. He says that when the caravan arrived in Medina Munawwara, there was like a, like a thumping sound. Medina Munawwara was shaking. Imagine 700 animals all stomping at once and they're walking into Medina Munawwara. There was like this big thump sound. There was a sound resonating through the streets of Medina Munawwara. Aisha radiallahu anha heard this. She said, Ma hadihir rajah. What's the sound in Medina? 
فقيل لها عير لعبد الرحمن بن عوف this is the caravan of Abdul Rahman bin Auf that has returned. 700 camels loaded with food and wealth. So then she said to him, Barakallahu lahu fi ma'ataahu fi dunya wa thawabahu fi al-akhirah. May Allah give barakah in his wealth in this world and also give him barakah in the reward of the hereafter. Someone came and told Abdul Rahman bin Auf radiallahu anhu that Aisha radiallahu anha heard this and she made this dua for you. He was so touched by her dua because her dua was twofold. May Allah give barakah for what you have in the dunya and give you barakah and the reward in the hereafter. So the second part of that dua, he picked it up as advice from her. That if she's saying that may Allah give barakah in the reward in the hereafter, in order for me to gain that reward, I need to do something with this. So he immediately said to Aisha radiallahu anha, he rushed to her and said to her that I make you witness in front of Allah that all 700 animals with everything they have are fisabilillah. All of it is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I can continue with stories from his life of his generosity. The point of reflection for us is, where are we? What state are we in? How is it possible? Someone explained to me that institution and masajid are closing down while houses are being built. How is it possible that people are signing new leases on their cars while our institutions are struggling? Where are those hearts gone? Where are those minds gone? Where is that iman gone? That masajid are saying that we need carpet and we need bathrooms and we need wudu areas. It's not that Muslims don't have wealth, by the way. It's that our priorities, unfortunately, are misplaced. I fully appreciate the second side to this argument, which is maybe something we can discuss another time, and that is that people feel uncomfortable these days because they feel there's a lot of mismanagement with the wealth of the ummah. It's a whole story itself. But we're not focusing on that. Today we're focusing on the legacy of Abdurrahman bin Awf And that is about giving without question that there is a taqaza, there is a need, the Muslim comes forward and he puts it in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He puts it in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That here I am to give. All that wealth of Abdurrahman bin Awf it didn't change him. That was the amazing thing about these companions that Allah gave them wealth and what made them different from us. Those of us who cite the example of, oh, from the companions were the wealthy likes, the likes of Abdurrahman bin Auf and Uthman ibn Affan an, We quite conveniently cite their example as being wealthy companions without making reference to what they did with that wealth and what legacy they left behind. Talk about that too. Allah didn't just give them wealth. They were Sahaba of Rasulullah who had eyes locked on the Prophet of Allah for 23 years. And what they have learned was all luxuries in this life are on the back burner. The primary focus of this existence is on serving the deen. Imam Dhabi again, in his Seer Alam al narrates the incident, narrates a narration. He says that if you came to the gathering of Abdurrahman bin Awf you couldn't tell him apart from his slaves. 
couldn't tell them apart. Can you tell a king apart from a butler in today's world? Yes, no? Very clearly. Of course you can. They dress a particular way. They walk a particular way. There was a, um, a Muslim king not hundreds of years ago. This happened just recently. It's in the news. If you Google it, you'll find it. Um, there was a Muslim king who recently traveled to a European country and insisted on having his own escalator flown in with him to get off of his plane. Takbir. Where are we going to go from here? Where are those hearts gone? Where are those people gone? You don't need millions of dollars to be generous. The legacy of Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu isn't just for those who have 10,000, 20,000, 5,000. The legacy of Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu is giving priority to the deen over yourself. It's about feeling the pain of the ummah. The legacy of Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu is to leave this world empty-handed. Where what you have isn't your legacy, empty-handed. What I mean by that is that what you have isn't to satisfy you. You understand that the wealth that Allah has given you is a tool. It's a means to serve the ummah. While you're living in this dunya, you will look for different ways to serve the deen. Inshallah. Some will serve the deen through their ibadah. Some will serve the deen through humanitarian effort. Some will serve the deen through seeking knowledge and conveying it. But there are so many Muslims in our community who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them wealth and their way to serve the deen is through wealth. It's through giving. But giving not with contingencies and with checks and with strings attached. Just give and walk away. Today's ummah is such that if I make a $10,000 donation to the masjid, now I have 10% share. Who the next amir will be can only be appointed after I say who the next amir is going to be. That's not how this works, my friends. This is not how this deen is. If you're giving for yourself, then make it clear and forfeit your reward in the hereafter. Most likely the masajid won't take from you too. And neither should they. This is not a business. This is not the stock market. Everything here... Everything in this space is about Allah and His Rasul It's about the deen. You give and you walk away. But I made a hundred thousand dollar donation. Find your reward with Allah. Don't destroy yourself. Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Auf radiallahu when he passed away, when he left his dunya, actually before I go to that, during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh, Umar radiallahu anh, and even shortly during a period of Uthman radiallahu anh's Khilafah, Abdurrahman ibn Auf radiallahu anh served as a mufti and qadi. He passed verdicts and, and settled matters between people, a senior sahabi of the Prophet of Allah. He is one of the companions that was promised paradise at the tongue of Rasulullah sallallahu He was present by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa at the grand Bay'atul Ridwan. When Abdurrahman bin Auf radiallahu anh was on his deathbed, 
he called all of his servants and slaves and set them all free. You are all free. And then he bequested 400 dinar coins, 400 golden coins to those that remained from the Ashab al-Badr. All the Badri companions, those who fought in the Battle of Badr, he knew the Prophet of Allah loved them and they were beloved to, his messenger, to the Messenger of Allah and they had a special maqam. So on his deathbed he said, to each of the Ashab al-Badr go and give them 400 gold coins, 400 dinars on my behalf. وَكَانَ عَدَدُهُمْ مِئَةً At that time there were a hundred of them alive. You can do the math. Then Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu set aside wealth before he distributed to his family, he took another portion out. He said, this wealth will be given to the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu Give it to them. Take care of them. To that Aisha radiallahu anha made dua for him. And she said, Saqahullahu min ma'is sabil. May Allah nourish you through the fountains of Jannah. Through the spring. Sabil aynun fil Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nourish him through the springs and fountains of Jannah. His whole life, generosity, generosity. And as he's lying on his deathbed. And then when it came to his family members. وَكَانَتْ نِسَاؤُهُ أَرْبَعًا He had four wives. فَبَلَغَ رُبُعُ الثُّمَنِ And because he had children, each collectively they, reach, they receive a thuman. وَلَهُنَّ الثُّمَنُ مِمَّا تَرَكْتُمْ Right, so they received a thuman. Thuman means one-eighth. They received how much? One-eighth. But because he had four wives, the one-eighth now must be distributed in fours. So, فَبَلَغَ رُبُعُ الثُّمَنِ الَّذِي خَصَّ كُلَّ وَاحِدَةٍ مِّنْهُنَّ ثَمَانِينَ أَلْفِ Each of them received 80,000. Each of them received 80,000. And that is from the, you can do the math from there if you wanted to, if you really wanted to. We just reverse engineer that 80 times four, and that's one eighth of how much wealth he left behind. That was what was left. Actually, that's how much was left after, after the earlier distribution. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. And he continued to give, even though he was promised Jannah by Rasulullah. And he wasn't, some of you may think that maybe he was just known for his generosity, not to belittle that, but maybe he was a generous one. He was a scholar. He was the mujahid. When Umar ibn Khattab was on his deathbed, and he appointed a committee of six people who were the candidates for the Khilafah after him, one of those six people was who? Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Awf He stood to be the Khalifa. And actually, when, he, when it was time to elect the Khalifa, someone actually came and said, you should be Khalifa. Abdurrahman ibn Awf said, I would rather be beheaded than be Khalifa. Kill me first, I won't be Khalifa. He could have voted for one of his close relatives that were also one of the candidates for Khilafah. Imam Zahabi points this out. However, he, like everyone else, pointed towards Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan who then became the Khalifa. Even though he was so generous, even though he constantly gave in his life, this is the part that I want to say. 
he never became too comfortable. Never be too comfortable in life with what you're doing. Last week, I shared this narration in the story of Mus'ab bin Umair But as I wrap up today's session, I will share this story with you again. One time, Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Awf was fasting and someone presented some food to him. He looked at the food and he said, لَقَدْ قُتِلَ مُسْعَبُ بْنُ عُمَيْرٍ وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ مِّنِّي فَمَا وَجَدْنَا لَهُ إِلَّا كَفَنًا إِنْ غَطَّى رَأْسَهُ بَدَتْ رِجْلَاهُ وَإِنْ غَطَّتْ رِجْلَيْهِ بَدَا رَأْسُهُ When the food was presented to him, he started crying. And he said, Mus'ab bin Umayr was martyred in the Battle of Uhud like we covered. And when he passed away, we did not have enough kafan to cover his body. That was my buddy. And today I have all this wealth. I fear what if all of my reward was given to me in this world and there's nothing waiting for me in the hereafter. And he continued to cry. He just cried and cried and cried. What a man. Promised paradise by Rasulullah continued to serve as an inspiration to the companions and he didn't dip down one point in his quality at any point in his life to the point that even Umar ibn Khattab appoints him in the Khilafah committee that I am telling you this is one of the gems of, of the Ummah and when it comes time for his burial Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas is the one that's carrying his body the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His janazah salah is led by Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu in the presence of all the great companions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his maqam and allow us to follow the example of the great legend and companion of the Prophet of Allah, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to take inspiration from him. See his love. See how much he cared for the Prophet of Allah. You know when he became Muslim, his name wasn't even Abdurrahman. He had a different name. The day he became Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called him Abdurrahman. And now that was his new name for the rest of his life. Look at the ishq and mahabba. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us. Sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.